welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to Revelation chapter 14. Father God, we ask for the word to open to us. We ask you to fill our hearts with faith that we might receive the word and find fertile soil and grow. That which is true, Lord, may it come to life in us. We would obey it and walk in it. I pray for grace to speak it so we hear your voice and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13 of the book of Revelation showed us the Antichrist strategy for the final 42 months of this era of Earth's history. We went through that really ugly description of the Antichrist, of him setting up a statue of a false prophet, of having to get a mark on your hand or your forehead uh, for having worshipped this thing. We saw what the Antichrist plans to do with the final 42 months, the final three and a half years. Now, chapter 14 through 16 of the book of Revelation show us God's strategy for the same period of time. You understand? Chapter 13 is the Antichrist strategy. Chapter 14 through 16 is God's strategy for that same three and a half year period of time. He will not passively observe as the Antichrist conducts a hellish campaign to force the world to worship him by means of angels in the sky. God will warn the human race of the judgment ahead if they reject him and take the Antichrist's mark. Then he will unleash a series of staggering disasters designed to throw the Antichrist's empire into turmoil. So God's not passive during this time. He's very active, uh, throwing the Antichrist back on his heels and uh, warning the world to repent. Mercifully, God will not allow the world to perish without a final worldwide call to repentance. In case anyone is still wavering as to whom to worship, he sends an angel to warn of the dangers awaiting those who refuse to repent. With a loud voice, the angel proclaims, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. This me the message is stark and full of alarm. And when the next angel speaks, the torments of hell are pictured so vividly no one will miss the implications of the choice before them. Today, we're going to look at different reasons why people obey God, beginning with the fear of God as called for by the angel. And then we'll move on to look at two other motives which reflect a growing relationship with God. So the, the, the thrust of this today is to start with that concept that the angel commands the earth, fear God. And we'll look at the fear of God, but I want to say to you that, the, that our obedience of the Lord doesn't simply rely on the fear of God, but it also relies on other aspects. As we grow in our relationship with Christ, we obey him for different reasons. And we're going to have a look at that. Let's turn to Revelation 14 and read from, I'll read you from verse 6 through 13. Uh, I'll pick up, and it certainly will be in your Bible study, uh, the 144,000 as in the first five verses of this uh, chapter later. No, not today. I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. Mid-heaven being right up at the top of the sky. 
having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Why don't you say that? Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And then another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone, that's sulfur, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Knowing this truth, I, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Quite a choice, isn't it? Here we are in this last three and a half years. We've got Antichrist putting up a statue and his false prophet uh, working with that. The, the statue speaks. It demands that all who worship it, uh, do, who do not worship it, die. And so we're got, we've got this, this uh, genocide starting, anybody who's not. It's a very slick system Antichrist comes up with. In order to do any kind of business, to buy or sell, you have to have a mark on your hand or on your forehead. So you can't cash a check, you can't go to the grocery store, you can't re remove deposits from your bank account. Nothing can happen unless you show the mark. And there's only one way to get the mark, and that is by worshiping this statue. So within a very short period of time, everyone who has not got a mark is, is a fugitive and is impoverished. He just breaks his opposition in one stroke. It's brilliant. The more you look at it, the thing would work. It will work. It's quite the moment. All right, so we've got that going on, and so much of the world is being put under huge pressure to worship the Antichrist and his statue. He is, by the way, remember, risen from the dead. Uh, he had a fatal head wound, and he came to life. And so he too, like Jesus, has risen from the dead. And so we have this worship thing going. So that's your choice on the one hand, and then God, in order to just make it Perfectly clear. Let me, let me insert something here. These last three and a half years, God takes the world and he just wrings it out like a wet towel and gets every soul, every, he just, every drop that's in there. He drives the human race into two camps. You will not have any fence sitters. There's no lukewarm. There's no middle of the road. There's now a little bit of religion. You either hate Jesus with a passion and have renounced him completely or you love him enough to die, and probably will during this period of time. That's the camps. It's one of two things. And the Lord is doing this. Listen, the Lord is allowing this to happen to save people. 
It's not to destroy people. He is making people choose. If anyone is on the fence, he is, and he's reaching out to them. And then to amplify it, he sends some sort of supernatural thing through an angel where this announcement is made so the whole world, every nation, tongue, and tribe all over the earth, hears this announcement. Fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. And then another angel fills in the details in case you weren't sure what the hour of judgment involved and gives a horrific description of hell. And so, you're, so the person on earth is, <laughs> is really stuck. You got the Antichrist stamping everybody, you know, and, and then you've got the angel of the Lord saying, stand for Jesus, die for him, or else you're going to look like a, a, a s'more that got dropped in the fire at a, at a Boy Scout camp. You know? You're, it, you know, you look at the picture, and I mean, you can say, well, you're a hellfire and damnation preacher. All I did is read it. It's in your book too, didn't I? It's my fault. I just read it right out of the same Bible you have. So you don't like it? Pull the page out, I guess. There it is. And by, we, one of these days, we will talk about hell. Um, there's no getting away from it. At the end of Revelation here, it gets, gets very vivid. And so we'll have to talk about that and look and really consider uh, that whole issue. But look at the picture. So here are, here's the people on the earth. They got a choice, a radical choice, a horrific choice. But God's purpose in it, to allow this to happen, is to press people to make a choice for him. And I'll show you a little later. Many, many will. It's, it's amazing. All right, now... Let's, let's start here. There are three reasons for obedience. The angel starts with one of them. He starts with the most basic one. He says to the earth, fear God. If nothing else, fear God. Don't you see what's ahead of you? There are different reasons people obey God. There are three, fear, wisdom, and love. Would you say those three? Fear, wisdom, and love. Each reflects a growing depth of relationship that that, that person has with God. It is also true that each of us tends to obey God for different reasons in different areas of our lives. So it isn't just that one person obeys for one reason and another person obeys for another. It's like each of us probably obeys in certain areas for one reason and certain other areas of our lives for another reason. We're not just uh, monolithic. We have different attitudes about different things in us. The first area is the fear of God. Why do people obey God? First of all, I fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why don't you say that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom, but it's the beginning of it. It's where you start. The fear of the Lord is where you start. The fear of God is primal self-interest. I don't want bad things to happen to me. It's not a complicated concept. You know, we, in America, it's, it's an, it, people avoid the words fear of God. Or if, if American preachers ever touch on the subject, they will always say something like, no, it doesn't mean fear. It means awe. It mean, means fear. <laughs> it's just not a popular American concept. We're trying to water it down so you'll accept it and come back next Sunday. Uh, the truth is it means fear. It means this. It, it, it that. It's based on the realization that God exists, that he knows what I'm doing, and that he will hold me accountable for my behavior and attitudes. That's what it is. The Bible says in a number of places, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
He doesn't see. He doesn't know what I'm doing. He doesn't care what I'm doing. There is no accountability in heaven for what I'm doing. The fear of God says, oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, he does know. He knows what I'm doing, and I'm going to pay for this. <laughs> I want to pay for this. If I, don't, if I don't get right with God, there's hell to pay. Uh, yeah, pardon me. Uh, the negative, the person who doesn't have the fear of God, says God doesn't see, God doesn't know or care. There's no judgment, only the grave. See? People who, this is why people are so furious at the concept of God or at the concept of hell. Those who are not walking with God are, 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 are desperately hoping that, that if they're not going to walk with him, that there is no God and there is certainly no accountability on the other side. That they are not going to face some eternity away from God. They can't tolerate that. So their comfort is to say, well, there is nothing else. Just the grave, worms each other. So you might as well party now. It really comes down to the most primal things, doesn't it? I mean, either you think there's a God and there's an eternity, or you don't. And either you have the, the good sense to live in the light of that, or you don't. And for those who don't, it still gnaws on them that it might be true. They can see it's not too bad if they just die and rot, but man, if they have to stand before God, it's a scary notion. And that's why they're so upset about terms like the fear of God, the concept of hell. All of that is just really a hot issue in people's hearts. Because if they're not walking with the Lord, that's just terrifying. They just can't cope with it. I want to show you a couple of uh, passages. Psalm 10. Yeah, the, the psalmist, it's all the way through. I just picked a few good ones. Psalm 10, verse 4, captures the heart of this person who does not accept the fear of God. The wicked in his, Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked in his haughtiness of his countenance, that's a proud face, this, this lifted up nose, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So he has to, the wicked has to renounce and say, there is no God. Verse 11, he says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. He doesn't know what I'm doing. He doesn't care what I'm doing. He's off, he's off keeping the galaxies in their, in their place. He's, he's busy with, the, with, with, with things light years away or with the huge movements of nations. He doesn't know what a little person like I'm doing here in Federal Way. He doesn't know me. I'm just one little dot in the crowd. That's what the... the the, the wicked says in their heart, those who walk away from God. But the person who has the fear of God says, no, there's accountability. He knows what I'm doing, and I'm going to answer to him. My beagle lives at this level. She lives at the fear of alpha. I'm... I'm the alpha male, yeah. The only reason she doesn't eat the cat's food, when she doesn't eat the cat's food, is because alpha and beta won't let her. <laughs> and she knows she's got to pay for it if she does, and, and uh, whatever that will mean. And by now, it's not much. <laughs> We've given up 
and like, don't do that. Um, but she'll, she, she, her, her little heart wants to. And we walk by the cat's food. You know, the Bible says stolen water is sweet. And it, it, even the cat's water tastes better than her water. The, uh, it's actually worse, I think, because it sits there longer. But, but we want to drink her water all the way to the bottom and just finish off the cat's water because it's stolen water, you know. All right, so the only reason she doesn't do it is just sheer fear of accountability. But she has the fear of God. She, that's, that's the same concept. Something's coming. All right. The fear of God is a foundational attitude in the heart of every believer. Now, let me ask you this question. Are there things that you don't do for the same reason my beagle doesn't do it? You don't do it, not because you really don't want to, but because you figure God will blast you if you did. How many? Come on. You got errors. This is, this is wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom. And even though you may not have a higher level of revelation on the subject, the fear of God will save your bacon. And there are people that are saved and will be in heaven for the fear of God. That's what the, what the angel's calling the world to. He's not calling them to some higher, deeper thing, which we'll get to. He's just saying, at least have the good sense to fear God, because there's a hell ahead of you. Why don't you choose righteousness? Repent. The fear of God will save us. I think in all of our hearts, there's certain things we do because we understand more deeply. There's other things we just do out of the fear of God. Remember Bill Johnson? Bill, he was one of our pastors for years, and I, I, he was a wonderful guy. and Still is, but he's not on our staff. He's retired. Um, but Bill uh, made the comment one time when back we were praying, and, and he says, you know, I know there's grace, and I know they say that the blood of Christ will cover my sins. He says, but if I was ever unfaithful to Carol, he says, I know God would send me to hell. Don't even bother arguing with me. I know I would go to hell if I was ever unfaithful to Carol. Now, I'm sure if you press Bill theologically, he knows somehow that there's mercy and forgiveness. However, he say, he's telling you something. He's saying emotionally, this, I, I bathe, there's, there's a deep, deep, deep fear in me. I would not touch this thing with a pole. I won't even come close to this. I fear the repercussions. I know I would pay for it. That's a healthy thing, really. And one of the things the American church has done is salve the conscience, numb the conscience, almost like drug the conscience of the American church so that there's no fear of God or accountability at all. And what you've, we've created is havoc in people's lives. I mean, look at the American church. Their, their, their family life is just as devastated, and in some cases, actually, percentages higher than the average public. Because here they are, calling themselves the people of God, and yet have no fear, and so they're thieves, and they're liars, and they're, they're immoral, and they're pornographers, and they're just steeped in this junk with no fear of it, because they're assured that God loves you just the way you are. Right? And well, how's it working? How's it working for you? <laughs> Not real well, huh? Because there is things to fear, and I'll tell you, the longer I've lived with the Lord, I know I'm for, there's a mercy and there's a forgiveness. I don't doubt that, but I also know that my Heavenly Father will let it sting when He needs to. And then when he, when if, I, if I flaunt Him, and if I horse with something too long, he is going to bring me to an accountability and he knows that when he causes it to sting, it stings. And you don't want it again. And I don't want that. 
And so there are things there I walk circumspectly just because I fear my heavenly father. I know he does it in love and I know he's right. But I also know it hurts. And I don't want it happening anymore. That's just the fear of God and that's the beginning of wisdom. All right, now, the fear of God is the foundational attitude. But when knowledge, learning the principles of God's word, as you get into the Bible and you begin to learn about the nature of the true God and humility... Willing to trust his advice rather than learning everything the hard way. That's humility. We grow to the next level of obedience. So as a person comes to the Lord, they may start at the fear of God level. But as the Bible gets taught to them, they discover it's full of principles. That God has built into this universe laws. Ways he does things. The second motive for obedience to God is, uh, is wisdom. I want God's blessings. Fear of God is I don't want God's punishment. Wisdom is I do want God's blessings. Wisdom is enlightened self-interest. If the fear of God is primal self-interest, saving my bacon, wisdom is enlightened self-interest. I realize God has built laws into his universe. Certain behaviors bring blessings. Certain behaviors bring his opposition. I want to be blessed. Ah, I am now a wise person. Look with me at uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon writes to his son, and he began, talks to him about the value of wisdom. Verse 1. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching... But let your heart keep my commandments. The le for, now, now Solomon begins to list the benefits that come by obeying these principles. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So long life and peace. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And then that wonderful passage of trust in the Lord. I go down to verse 8. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Okay, so if I walk in the principles of God, I'll have healing in my body and strength and refreshment in my bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So if I am generous, if I tithe and give generously to the Lord and to the needy, God will be generous with me and prosper me. There's a principle. And then he goes on, don't reject it. Verse 13, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, her gain better than, the fi than fine gold. And money can't buy you what God's blessing will buy you. You understand that? It, it, nobody, there's no amount of money that can bring you the happiness, the security, the peace, the long life, the joy that God can bring you by obeying and walking in his principles. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. You actually prosper when you walk in God's ways. Her ways are pleasant and her paths are paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. I'll stop there. Wisdom is enlightened self-interest. I realize God has built laws into his universe. Certain behaviors bring blessing. Certain behaviors bring his opposition. I want to be blessed. 
How many of you do some things because you've learned the principles of God? You read the words and you say, man, I want blessing. I don't want trouble. Simple concept, isn't it? When, when, when I went through uh, the, the, the commandments of Christ, one of the things that I kept saying is, look, God's mercy, his forgiveness is one thing. It, the grace of God opens the door to heaven. But the blessing of God is what prospers us in life. It, uh, they aren't the same thing. Some people think that just because he will forgive you for your sins means everything will be happy and good. No, it means you go to heaven. But you can have one miserable life while you get there. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience to the principles of God bring blessing. They work. One, one man came up to me and said, they even work for unbelievers, don't they? Yes, it does. These principles work even for unbelievers to some measure. So it's not just that God, God has favor. I, I love uh, Psalm 127, verse 2. It says, it is vain to rise up early. I love that. <laughs> Don't even bother getting me out of bed. It is vain to rise up early and eat the, painful, the bread of painful labors. For the Lord gives to his beloved even in his sleep. In other words, God, when, when you, uh, there's, there's a person who's not blessed who decides that they will provide their own blessing by their own hard work and they're going to they're gonna make their, their own way in life. They're self-reliant. Well, they're getting up early. They're working long hours. Uh, they're just slaving away. And meanwhile, here's the person who is blessed of God. They're getting blessed even in their sleep. You see that? That's kind of what we were talking about earlier with 2 Corinthians 12. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. There's this, there's this, there's this exchange. God prospers and blesses the man or woman who is obedient to his principles. This is wisdom. This is a, a, a very important reason for learning to obey God. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards people that seek him. He blesses people who seek him. He prospers and protects them and guides them and gives them peace and long life. There's a, there's a blessing. Now, you, you can't standardize that and say anybody who's had any problems, suddenly it wasn't a blessing. Don't, you don't go there. But the principles are there. The, the general tendencies are there. The negative of this, of a person who doesn't walk in wisdom is the person who says, God won't take care of me. I have to create my own blessings. They are self-reliant. They are, they are they're scrambling. Uh, I, years ago in a church, uh, we had a, uh, there was somebody in, in one of the leadership positions, and he said, he said to me one time, he said, I'm a scrambler. Now, he was a real estate agent, and what he meant was, um, I don't let ethics bother me. I just, I go out and I get what I need. I, I grab my chunk of the, of the, of the pie, boy. And there was, a, there was a kind of a crude aggressiveness to him. And no matter who he dealt with, he was going to get his money. He was going to get his, his piece of the action. He was, a, he was a coarse businessman is what he really was. And very ambitious and selfish. Now he was part of the church. He was a Christian. And yet he was creating his own blessing. Because you see the heart of a man or woman who is living in this understanding that as I walk righteously with the Lord, 
he will prosper me. It's a very different thing, isn't it? To the generous, to those who care for the poor, to those who are kind. This, the, when I please the Lord, he gives to me even in my sleep. So it's a very different focus than the heart of this, this particular man. He was, he was a scrambler. He, he was trying to create his own blessing. It caused havoc as time went on. The wisdom of God shows that a person is learning the principles in the word of God and trusts God enough to believe he will do what he says. Let me ask again, how many of you are living in principles? God's taught you principles that you are learning to walk in and you found they work. Amen? Yeah. It's powerful. It's the way he's built the universe. He will do what he says. This element God places in the heart of the believer. However, as we experience his amazing mercy, now we're going to move on to the next level. As we experience his amazing mercy and catch glimpses of him in worship, we discover another reason for obeying him. As you've walked with God, you have found that he is far more patient with you than you would be with other people. Have you not? That he loves you and has put up with a lot of junk. That if it were you, you would have sort of pushed some sort of button and dropped you through the floor a while back. You'd have had it with you. You would have been up to here with you. But God hasn't been, has he? He keeps loving and he keeps pursuing and he keeps picking up your mess and walking you through it. Isn't he amazing? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he has just talked about the, the plan of God with the Jew and the Gentile and how God has, has, has brought everybody down uh, to see their sin but shown them great grace and then he's shown how God's plans work and he says this, in light of God's mercies, Having, I've just shown you, he, Paul says, all of the mercy of God. In light of that, he says, your only proper response of worship is to offer your body a living sacrifice. Putting yourself alive on an altar and saying, I'm yours. You bought me. You won me. After all you've done, I got no more claim. I'm yours. Why don't you say that? I'm yours. Yeah. That is ultimately the heart of worship. Worship will always bring us to that place where we put ourselves back on the altar and say, God, I'm yours. Everything I have, everything I am. You've been so merciful. Has he been merciful with you? Yeah. Patient with you? Kind with you? Isn't he amazing? Yeah. What it does is it begins to change your heart. It does a deep work inside us. After a while, we fall in love with him you realize he's a, he's a wonderful person. He, not only is he someone who's created laws and principles in the universe whereby obedience will bring me prosperity and blessing and peace and long life, but he is amazing with me. And you fall in love with him. And when you worship him, his sweet presence is here, you get glimpses of the Lord glimpses of his, of his face, of his attitude to you, of his kindness to you. You feel his presence with you, strengthening and comforting and counseling in your heart. And it draws us higher. It draws us to fall in love with him. We see him to be beautiful. We see him to be awesome. 
amazing God, a marvelous God. Worship lifts us to see who he is. And he's beautiful. I, I love one of my favorite songs is that beautiful one. Uh, that beautiful one, I love, beautiful one, I adore. I always want to dance when I sing that song. I always want, oh, yes, Lord. I mean, I just, I do. Something in me just wants to dance with him when I sing that song. He is so beautiful. As a man or woman discovers their own weakness and finds his ever-present mercy, they become deeply in love with him. It goes beyond theology. As a man or woman worships, it, we, we behold his glory, says Paul, and we become lifted from glory to glory and become like him. You become like the one you worship. You and I are called into his likeness. The third reason, then, is that I love God. I fear God. I don't want bad things to happen to me, so I do it to save my bacon. I have wisdom. I learned that there's principles and laws built into this universe that work and that God has given to me that if I will obey Him in them, I will prosper. And it's more than I could ever accomplish with my own striving. My own ambition can never do what the blessings of God can do in my life. But there comes a place where I move into the love of God. I love God and I'm aware of His love for me. Here, at this point, self-interest ceases to be my main motive for obedience. If, if fear of God is primal self-interest, if wisdom of God is enlightened self-interest, at the love of God, self-interest isn't the issue. It is replaced by love. My love, first of all, for God. As my love for him grows, I desire to be like the one I love. I want to please him because I am in awe of who he is. I just love delighting his heart. He's beautiful. He loves me. He's done so much for me. My heart is no longer just, I do this out of fear. I do this out of principle. It's just, I want to please you in everything I do. I want to delight your heart. I'll tell you something. That's what keeps me pastoring. Uh, I, I didn't want to be a pastor in the first place. And it has been a long road for me. And I, lo I love what God does. But it has not been for me an easy road, just because of the way I'm wired. It's not anybody's fault. It's me. But what keeps me pastoring and keeps me grateful to be a pastor is I know it delights my Father's heart. I have a sense that he made me for this. I have a sense that he's with me and helping me in it. That it matters to him. What I sense really strongly is that he loves you a lot. And that you are his children. And that it is my privilege to simply pour out my life so that he can serve you in whatever capacity I have to do that. I think that's true of all of us, isn't it? But that's why I, this is what I'm asked to do. And so there's a sense in me and I, and I, where I say, Lord, if this is what pleases you, then I'll do it till I die. I'll do it to the last breath until I have no more power in me. I will do it. And I will do it gladly. Not begrudgingly, but gladly because it pleases you and I love you. And I know what's ahead for me. I know you've prepared a place for me. I know that there's an eternal life. I know there's a rest ahead of me that's beyond, beyond words. And so, Lord, whatever you ask, I, I do it delight, with delight.
The love of God will take you to a, a level of obedience far beyond anything you have to do. Amen. You understand this? It's not minimalist. It's not like, here's what you have to do to be a Christian. It will take you to levels of sacrifice, levels of pouring yourself out and of giving of yourself way beyond anything you need to do. And you do it because you love him. His love draws us to obedience way beyond what any law would do. God's love for me, not only my love for God, but God's love for me. I don't want to do anything that prevents me from abiding in his love or separates me from his presence. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, he says, you will abide in my love. It's funny, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he says, and if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. I don't want to do anything that lifts the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that removes his presence in my life. The longer you go with him, the more dependent upon him you become. So that the idea that you would do something that would disturb the Holy Spirit, that would grieve the Holy Spirit, that would cause, him, cause some separation between you and him is the last thing in the world you want to do. Not because you think you're going to go to hell. I mean, that is off the table. At this point in time, you're, you already have deep, deep faith in Christ. You know you're constantly washed with the blood. That's not even a question. You're not talking about hell or heaven. You're going to heaven. We're talking about simply wanting to be as an effective a minister, a servant of his as I'm capable of being. I want nothing to lift his hand from me. I want to be the father, the husband, the, the, the pastor, the friend. I want to be who he's called me to be. I want nothing to lift that presence. I want to abide in his love. And finally, God's love for me, God's love in me. My love for God, God's love for me, and God's love in me. The Holy Spirit dwells in me, a believer, and he is conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ, whether I like it or not. He takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. This is something that happens that God simply does with every child that comes to him. He will take out your heart of stone and he will put into you a heart of flesh. He doesn't ask your permission and he has a goal in mind. You are being formed into the image of Jesus Christ and that's the goal. Every believer, it's been foreordained from the foundation of the earth. There will be a race of men and women in the image of his son. Amen? Amen. So that's where we're going. That's where all of us are going. And so you'll find funny things happening that you didn't even give permission for. You'll find some of you, you know, been maybe strong and hard and very together. And, and you'll find you get in the Lord's presence and you start weeping and you're, it's embarrassing. I've had people come to me and say, uh, Pastor, I'm so sorry. Every time I come to church, I seem to cry. Like, stop it. I want criers in my church. <laughs> Other than me. One other thing I often say to them is, you're not, you're not crying. You're weeping. There's a difference. In the Lord, you'll find really, some of you have had horrible lives and you've grown real tough and real hard. And you just, you know, you've got that, that whole thing inside. You've, you've, you've taken your heart and made it, a, made it rock. And then you come to the Lord and you find yourself feeling, in worship, you weep. 
or you see someone in suffering and you find yourself weeping over them and very concerned, you think, what am I, am I becoming a sack of slush? Am I vulnerable? Yes, you are. <laughs> you are vulnerable. And it will hurt and that's tough. That's the way it is. And he's going to let you hurt. He's going to let you hurt a lot. Do you hear me? He doesn't mind that your love opens your heart to being hurt. He doesn't mind that. That's the Christian life. That's what our Lord has modeled for us. Love leads to suffering. That's your call. You're on Calvary's road now. You have a cross in arm. And you will love and you will give. You will will open up and you'll get hurt for it. That's a promise. And you'll go to Jesus and he'll heal you and strengthen you and you'll do it again. He'll put in a heart of flesh sovereignly and he'll write his law in your heart. And now you're, now you're moving in as, a, as a daughter or a son of God just in a relationship with him and rules and laws even principles have kind of fallen by the wayside. You're just walking with him. You're just walking in love. The Bible says that the person who walks in love, there is no law. It's all fallen away. Doesn't even, you don't mess with it. You simply walk in the Holy Spirit. All right. Each level of motivation... Fear, wisdom, and love is beneficial. There's nothing wrong with the fear of God if that's what prevents us from making mistakes or coming to God. The wisdom of God is true and those principles are real. The love of God is a level he's drawing us to. They're beneficial and remain in a believer's heart, but as we grow, new layers are added until our hearts become like Jesus' heart. Ultimately, he wants us to do what we do because the love of Christ within us delights to do his will. The process takes time and may never be completed until we see him face to face. But today we let the Holy Spirit examine our hearts and take us another step closer. I'm going to just close with an illustration. And this is a mundane illustration, but it really is the one that comes to my mind. There are churches that when they give an offering or, uh, you know, pass the plate, one of the messages, or there's ministries, that one of the things they emphasize is that if, if you don't give to God, that God says he'll send the devourer. And the devourer will eat holes in your purse. Some of you say, well, you got those. Yeah. Oh. It'll eat holes in your purse. And there is such a thing as a devouring thing, isn't there? And every time you get a little bit of money, the car breaks down. I mean, it's just like clockwork. Uh, every time you get a little money, there's, you, you, you break a tooth uh, or whatever. It just seems like you can never get ahead. There's every, every step, it's, it's consumed. That's the devourer. And it's a real principle. Those who are not generous with the Lord, after a while, he'll take it. You don't give it, he'll take it. And so there's a devourer. He says, I'll send the devourer. And they say, no, so give so the devourer won't eat your, eat your harvest. What level of my, am I appealing to in terms of the obediences? The fear of God. It's true. And actually, if you say, okay, I don't want the devourer to eat my, pur- my, my purse or whatever. You know, okay. Well, you can stop the devourer. There are churches that teach the principle, no, no. If you give, God will give to you 
a hundredfold. You know, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, will men pour into your, into your lap. And so, try me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing you cannot even contain. Tithe, says the Lord. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. And so, the, 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 the message is, give and God will give you more. God will prosper you. He prospers givers. So, put in the plate so that God will give you more money than that. What are we appealing to? Wisdom. I have to tell you that in this area, I think it is used at times fraudulently. It is used as a deceptive fraud to exploit people. And I think it's done cynically. The feeling is on, the ha- on behalf of those who are teaching it, the people don't have the good sense to give out of, out of love or any other motivation. They're just carnal, carnal infants. And so I have to bribe them and, and kind of goad them into giving. I think there's a cynicism in the heart that does it, but that's my own opinion. Now, I gave an offering today, and, I, and, I, and you hear me do it over and over again. Lord God, we bring our tithe today, and we send it in what? Love. We, we sow a seed, Lord, and we, we, we give our, our, our tithe and our offering, and here's our desire. Would you give us a great harvest of souls? And so I press you to believe God to take every penny of your money and transform it into ministry and touch human lives. What level am I appealing to? Now, I do this on purpose. It's not, some people think I just don't have the guts to give a, a, you know, a prosperity message or something. It it isn't true. Um, It's that I don't have the heart for it in the same way. Here's what I think. I think that the Bible says that if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that in other words, if I put things in order, that he will add to me all that I need. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't tithe. I have, we've tithed every day of our marriage. And we have, it, we have lived in this principle. I know the principle. I know the devourer. I know the principle of, 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 of him prospering and protecting us. I have lived in it. I know it's truth. And I still believe those things. But the Lord's called my heart beyond sort of needing to constantly prime the pump so there's food on the table. That's very infantile. It's a low level of existence. Do you see that? And God is saying, why don't you rise up and just trust me to provide for you. And what you, you give as I give you, tell you to give, and, and, and that in my heart is not less than a tithe. We give considerably more. But it's, it's that just give, Lord, give to me in love. Give because of people. Give because there's hungry folks. Can you go to the mission field and watch them starve and not care? You feed 2,000 people a week. Did you know that? 2,000 children a week are having probably one of the only meals that day they'll have. Possibly within days. You, you give out of love. Give believing that I'll touch lives. Give that people will be saved and churches will be built and children will be discipled. Give for that heart for that. Sow that seed. I'll take care of you. How many have found it's true? He takes care of you. Isn't he generous? I'm telling you, I hear, the, I hear what's going on in your lives. I mean, there's, there's, there's God is providing for you. There's promotions. There's blessings. There's people going, I don't know how to handle this. There's all kinds of stuff going on. When you get your eye off of having to sort of prime the pump so that you, and, and you just begin to love. There's a, there's a, the, the blessing flows all the more. But you don't care, frankly, <laughs> how much he gives you anymore because your heart's not focused on that anymore. You really got perspective and you're so pleased he's opening doors for ministry and the thing you want to talk about is not the car you bought. The thing you want to talk about is the lives that you touched. That you had an open door to talk to your mother-in-law and she actually listened. 
I hear stories at the front of this thing where people have their own family missions going on all the time, and it's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. It's the kingdom of God. Fear God. Beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. The principles of God. Learning to walk wisely and, and receive the blessings of God. But then there's the love of God. His love for us. Our love for Him. Forgetting self-interest. Just beginning to pour our hearts out because we have a new heart now with the love of Jesus in us. And now we're disciples and he simply feeds us like the birds of the air. He clothes us like the lilies of the field and lets us focus our passion on his love flowing through us to others. Would you stand with me? What's the response to a message like this? One, it's perspective. Just letting God show us perspective and and looking at our Christian life. But it also will help us evaluate our attitudes in certain areas. You may find there's certain areas in your life where, boy, it's still the fear of God. (laughs) That's just kind of it. You could ask for enlightenment. Show me wisdom, Lord, so that I understand your principle of blessing here. What what are you trying to do? Because I'm just not doing it because you tell me I can't. Would you show me more? I want to be a a son or a daughter who's obedient from the heart, not simply one who's afraid to get punished. And some of us may be still living at that point where we're almost having to to just uh, to to run the treadmill or pump the pump the handle to kind of work principle, figuring I I got to do these principles and 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 they're there, but we haven't taken that step. We haven't seen His mercies and fallen in love with Him. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a survival mode. It's, it's, a, it's a process rather than a relationship. And I would just say God wants to take you deeper, draw you closer, and let you know it's about you and Him. But He'll provide for you. He'll care for you. But where He wants your heart focused, it's okay to focus your love and your heart on Him and on other people. So, Father, wherever we are, and I think we all are at various places in various areas of our lives, we would be drawn closer and closer to you. We would have the heart of Jesus Christ in us. And we just say, Lord, we, we more than welcome you to take out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. We understand the price we'll pay for that. And we embrace it. Lord, make us lovers. Make us lovers. And free us. Free us to walk in your blessing. Because we love. And because you love. In your mighty name we ask it. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And be gracious unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we ask it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.